Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Trained at the North Carolina School of the Arts and the School of American Ballet, at 20 years of age, Michael Langlois was invited by Mikhail Bershnikov to join American Ballet Theater. Having seemingly made it to the top of his profession, he nevertheless spends his nights on stage at the Metropolitan Opera House, filling the gaps between the stars and the scenery, watching his colleagues dance in ways that he himself can only dream of. B+, his memoir of a 16-year career, is an unflinching view of the joys and hardships in a career in dance, as well as a behind-the-scenes look at one of the most prestigious dance companies in the world during the height of the ballet boom in this country. Get your copy of B+, now, wherever books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, books and books, or you can click the link in this description of this episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by one of our former colleagues, Natalia Arja, principal dancer with the Miami City Ballet. Natalia was born in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, where she began taking dance classes at the age of five from her mother's ballet school. As a young dancer, she competed in and won several dance competitions, where she was offered scholarships to various prestigious schools. At her mother's suggestion, she auditioned for the Miami City Ballet at age 15, receiving a full scholarship to attend a year-round program. She joined the Miami City Ballet as an apprentice in 2009, and in March 2020, during the company's last performances before the pandemic hit, Natalia was promoted to principal. We talked with Natalia about her career, how she became aware of Miami City Ballet, navigating the company's change in artistic leadership, her promotion to principal, and the company's upcoming streaming of George Balanchine's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Since its premiere in 2016, Miami City Ballet's reimagining of Balanchine's A Midsummer Night's Dream has been beloved by audiences and acclaimed by critics. Now, enjoy the online premiere of the shimmery, shadowy, magical jewel box of a show from the comfort of your own home. Midsummer's virtual premiere is available online from October 14th through the 31st. Tickets are $20 and are available on their website, miamicityballet.org, or click the link in the description of this episode. Good morning, Natalia. Welcome to Conversations on Dance. 
Good morning, guys. I am honored to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. For our listeners, we danced with Natalia for our many, many, our Over a whole decade. career yeah. at Miami City Ballet yeah, yeah. until 2017. So we're happy to have you on. We're going to talk a little bit about your career and some of the exciting things coming up for Miami City Ballet. But before we get started, tell us a little bit about how you first got your start in dance. Well, I started dancing, I was five years old and I um, danced at my mom's school. She was a dancer and then eventually she ended up wanting to teach more than dancing. So she opened her school and that's where I began doing ballet. So were you ever like, it was just sort of a natural evolution or was it something that you were kind of like begging your mom to do? Was it something that you really wanted to do or just sort of what a young girl does? (laughs) You know, it's the opposite. It's not like that cute story where I say, I want to do ballet. I really <laughs> hate it. I, guess really? I, I used to go to the studios a lot with her with her before I was dancing. And just being there, I think a part of me just wanted to be, you know, rebelling against ballet. And I told her, I was like, I don't want this. I hate it. I want to be an actress. I wanted to act. I just, apparently she said I would be home, like holding on to something to pretend it was a mic and I wanted to just do acting. So no, at first I did not want to go to ballet. Natalia, it's so hard to imagine you holding a microphone and dancing around and singing. I couldn't even imagine that in your personality. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) So when was the changeover for you where you started to enjoy ballet? And what, what, what was it about ballet that made it click? You know, I think it was, even though I fought, I think it was always meant to happen. I, mm-hmm. that, I think my journey was written before I was born, you know, coming from a mom and dad, both ballet dancers, both met in the ballet company. Someone was bound to be a dancer, either me or my brother, and he didn't want it to do it. So it was, uh, it was meant to be. And uh, so when I, she tried to put me in ballet when I was like, three and I, that did not go well. So when I turned five, apparently she said that I asked, I said, okay, I want to try it again. So then I went and then there I stayed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what was it like dancing for your mom, like in your mom's school, was it kind of like a weird thing? And I'm sure when you're small, you probably didn't really realize, but I'm sure as you got older, you kind of maybe had that feeling of like other people, maybe like, oh, she's the, you know, director's daughter. Like, how did you navigate that? Right. We actually, we were talking about that the other night, how it was a lot of pressure. I couldn't just be a kid. I couldn't just, you know, be running around in the studios playing with the kid. I couldn't just simply be because I knew that I, all eyes were on me. I was exactly the daughter of the director. I had to be the example. I had to set the example. I couldn't be just a child. I wanted to just be, you know, like everyone else. And I couldn't do that. So for my whole time in Brazil, up until I turned 15, it was, I, I had this huge responsibility going into competitions. I was always competing. So it was always like, oh, what's the daughter of the director going to do? Is she going right. to follow her corrections? You know, so I constantly had that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. At uh, what point did you start to consider what um, a professional trajectory was going to be for you? What, were there opportunities in Brazil to dance? with a professional company or were you always sort of set on um, moving um, to an international career? 
So I, on my last year in Brazil, my mom, um, she has her school and then she has her, like a young company that mm -hmm. she also directs. So um, the goal in the school, obviously, is to get to the end of the level and then you get the chance to maybe be hired into her um, company, her second company. Mm -hmm. So I was, I joined her company. I danced for my last year in Brazil. So I was able to experience um, her choreographies. I danced as a principal dancer. My last ballet in Brazil um, was Sleeping Beauty. So that was when I did my first last principal role with my mom. So it was mm -hmm. a special moment. But then, you know, for her, she said it was leaving me with a taste of, oh, I wish I could have had my daughter longer mm -hmm. now that she was older and was able to do, you know, lead More. roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this um, company. I just want to hear a little bit more about that. I think, you know, here we kind of think of, you know, these schools that have like a company quote unquote attached where you're still in the school, but then you get to perform and it's kind of meant to give you that company feel, but you just said being hired into the company. So is it actually considered like an actual job, like a very like first kickoff point to becoming a professional? Yes, it was, it was like that, you know, obviously our, it, there wasn't a, a big budget or anything, mm -hmm. but it was just, she wanted to prepare this, you know, that transition. Cause it's such a shock. And you guys know this going yeah. from a student into a company, it's a whole different world. It's, it's, it, there's that competition more like with yourself of, Oh, I have to gain my place here all over again. Cause mm -hmm. when right. you're in school, you're like, Oh, I was doing all these lead parts. But then when you join a company, it's like you're starting over. Mm -hmm. And uh, she wanted us to already experience that before, you know, whatever you wanted to do, which is to audition for a company in Brazil, or if you wanted to leave the country. So that was mainly what her goal was, was to get ready for what be being in the company is like. Mm -hmm. Did you have opportunities then to dance in a sort of larger court of ballet in this company? Unfortunately, not. Mm -hmm. The company was very small, but, you know, we she was able to find, you know, few theaters here and there for us to do the full length. But it wasn't really like a real, mm -hmm. let's say, a company, right, with mm -hmm. lots of members and core the ballets and demis and principals, mm -hmm. you know, it was more like a one team and just. I just uh, I just asked because I, rem I for me, I remember the moment when you went in for your first Miami City Ballet rehearsal, which was Balancing Swan Lake. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just remember this moment really well. That is right. Where um, <laughs> the person that you were understudying was not available and you went in and I remember everyone being like, oh, she did the whole thing perfectly. So I was wondering if you had experience like mm. being dancing with large groups uh, in a way that, because I remember the first time I went into something like that. Like I just didn't have the spatial awareness. Like I was like, I don't know how to be in line, <laughs> you know? So how, how did you develop that skill so that when you mm -hmm. came to Miami city ballet, it was kind of already something like an attribute you had. Yeah. Understood. So yes, you know, because in my mom's school we're we're Vaganova based. So mm -hmm. all of the things I did were classical stuff. And I did a lot of court, the ballet. It wasn't like I went in already doing the the principal, I watched her older um, dancers and I was around Keytree or mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty, whatever. Right. So I did a lot of it. And she always right. 
said and preached to her students, you cannot be a great Demi, a great Solars or Principal if you're not a great court member. Right. You, mm. That's where it all begins. You have to know how to dance as a team. Right. So this is something that I constantly heard. And I was, I danced a lot of Corey the Ballet being together, following the first one. So when I had my chance with the company, with you guys to do the Swan Lake, that instantly came to me. And I just remembered my mom's voice and, and all that experience I had as a core of the ballet in our small little company. Right. And that just, I was like, okay, follow the first one. It's not, you know, it's about the whole team and being line right. and making it beautiful. So that came to me. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so tell us a little bit how, about how you first became aware of Miami City Ballet and kind of what you were thinking about for your career. And was Miami City Ballet always like on your radar as a place you wanted to end up? So this is very interesting because my mom, she always loved Miami City Ballet. She always loved the George Balanchine style. And she obviously loved Edward Villela. She -hmm. always watched his videos. So when I turned 15, she realized that the conditions of, you know, following my dream in Brazil weren't going to be possible, unfortunately. So she sat me down and said, look, this is the time for you to send a DVD with your class audition mm-hmm. and uh, let's send and let's send to the United States, all these schools that she had already known of. And one of them was Miami city ballet. So I didn't really have much knowledge to be honest on um, the balancing style. Like I had heard of Edward Villela, but not so much about the company. So it was basically me completely trusting my mother and in her knowledge of what she knew of Miami City Valley. So we sent um, my videos to several places. And then I received an email with these schools offering me a scholarship. And one of them was Miami City Ballet School. And then she said to me, I think you should go to Miami City Ballet School. I think it'll be a good fit for you. You can learn the language because I didn't speak one word of English. Mm -hmm. So she said, when you're young, you can pick the language quickly. So I said, okay, mom. And that's how I ended up in Miami City Valley School. Right. Wow. I mean, it's yeah. so funny. I was actually thinking about that. I was like, our listeners need to know that when you came to the U.S., you didn't speak any English because your English is so, you're, it's great. It's like perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so something I wanted to ask because you came with um, a group from your school, which is, I mean, obviously like emotional, that having that emotional support is something that would be rare for someone moving internationally. But did you find that to be, a detriment to learning English? I mean, I'm thinking from my own view, I would just be like, I'd come home and be like, guys, that's the worst. I didn't pick up, pick up a word of Portuguese right. today, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, <laughs> or was it something like you, fe- did it bolster you, make you feel comfortable because you had your people and then you could go out and be like, okay, I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I moved. So all this journey, I'm telling you, there is one person that's been there from the very beginning, mm-hmm. literally from when I started ballet, when I was five is Renan Serdere, which mm-hmm. you guys know. Friend of the pod. And he's been with me through all this whole story. We arrived in Miami to Miami together. And obviously we had no clue of English, but he and I really, we were determined to learn the language. So to me, it was to us, it was comforting that we had each other. Mm-hmm. I think had I done all of this alone, I think I would have, it would have been a different scenario for me mentally. Mm-hmm. So having that 
um, brother with me, that support really encouraged me to feel brave that we can do this. We can learn right. English. So going into class together in the studio and our teacher talking to us and we us knowing nothing, we could laugh about it together, but we both knew that we were worried and, and scared and thinking, can we ever learn this? Right. So he was a like a, a very good support system for me. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just the two of you, right? There were a few other dancers that came from your mom's school and came through Miami City Valley as well. Yes, it was Eloa and Alexandre. So the four of us came together. We lived together and we went through a rough times like because at the time, unfortunately, Miami City Valley School didn't didn't have dorms. Right. So we right. had to live on our own. So there was a whole new aspect of life of nor did I have to learn a new style like Balanchine and then English. And then I had to learn how to live on my own. Right. So it was a lot of new things in my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I also just to keep going down this language rabbit hole, I hear different things like how, how helpful was it to be in a place where, you know, Spanish is so prevalently spoken? Like how much of a tie do you find there to be between Portuguese and Spanish? Was that helpful at all? Or was it just like, here's this other thing on my plate. Now I have to go to the grocery store and learn Spanish too. Thanks. <laughs> you know, um, I actually learned Spanish back in Brazil. Uh, I okay. remember they asked me to pick between English and Spanish. And I said this, you guys, I said, I'm going to learn Spanish because I think it's beautiful. I'm not going to learn English. I'm never going to use it. <laughs> I never I did thought the same. I did the same thing with Spanish. I chose French because I was like, oh, it's like ballet and I'll never need Spanish. Fast forward to living in Miami. That would have been really useful. <laughs> there you go. So I was like, I'm never because I didn't think I was going to ever leave the country. Right. So now English be the first language of my brain. It's, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. so Spanish was helpful, but then I could tell that I told Renan, I said, I can tell that people just rely on Spanish here and they don't care to learn English. Right. And I was like, I don't want this. I want to be able to form friendships. I want to be able to get to know the members in the company. Like if this is going to be my home, I want to learn their language. So to right. me, that's a respectful way that I, that I view, you know, so, so it was good to have Spanish because it saved us to go to, you know, Publix, Walgreens, sometimes, uh -huh. but but at work, all of you guys, everybody was American. And mm -hmm. so it forced us to really learn English. Right. right. Yeah. So what were some of the first things you danced with the company? So I, so Swan Lake, I, I went in, in the rehearsal and that was really scary. Um, and then Snowflakes was mm -hmm my also like the one of the first things I did with the company too. And I remember in being in the wings and going, Oh my goodness, I'm about to go on with the company. I'm, I'm going to dance with them. And I was thinking, do I know the patterns? I don't want to run into anyone I <laughs> like be there and be a good body. So I remember vividly my first show of snowflakes. You were still a student at this time, right? Cause you did a few things with us when you were a student. That's right. Yes. And then when, when did you end up getting um, your contract then with the company? That was 2010 okay. when I officially became a core member. So mm -hmm. at the time we had student apprentice, company apprentice, new dancer, and then core of the ballet. So right. I went through all of those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there was a point in your early career, you got a lot of opportunities very young. Um, and it was often when you were still in the core where you'd be dancing multiple principal 
roles within a, a single program even. What was that period like for you, both in terms of your personal performing experience and maybe in terms of what kind of expectations it was setting for you? Right. So yeah, Edward um, Gay challenged me at a very young age and very soon to be very young and new in the company. And I was surprised because I remember my mother saying, you're going to have to work your way up. It's going to take time. You know, it doesn't just happen like this. So when I saw that I was getting called, my first big thing with Renan was Mm -hmm. the Sugar Plum Fairy. I think we were like 17 and that was, uh, we were, we couldn't believe that we were being called and all these incredible principal dancers that we would go watch at the theater and to be next to them, Jeanette Delgado, Renato, um, Trisha Albertson. So be us like in the back learning a first balancing Sugar Plum Fairy, which I had never seen before. That to me was mind blowing. And I just remember going home and crying to my mom and telling her, you're not going to believe we got called for this. And then other things came. We learned Diane and Acteon in one of the mixed programs. So it was very um, surprising and exciting, but challenging because there is this expectation, right? When you join the company and you get put in front of other people that had been there longer. And this is something that my mom always talks about too. She said, you know, now it's you one day, it's going to be the other younger one. So that's Mm -hmm. that company life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh as we know, and anyone who has worked with you knows you're a fearless performer. So what was this, um, these initial opportunities on stage like for you? Were you really nervous or you were just like, this is good. I got this. Like I am so comfortable performing. What was, what were those stage moments like? So I like to think that because I lived in competitions and that's the positive side that I like to talk about competitions. When people Mm -hmm. ask me, do you support that? And, uh, I, and there's a part of me says yes, because it builds that stage confidence. It builds, right. and because you're competing against each other, I learned to just block it out, whatever is happening and just go out there and, and give it all. And right. it doesn't matter what the other cast does. I can watch them be inspired and learn from them, but I being competition helped me not to be comparing, but to just you know, do it. get out there and do it. So that's what I like about go- having gone to competitions that when Edward gave me these roles, it wasn't foreign to me, the responsibility, if I can say like this, right. because Renan and I always had to do these really hard roles back in Brazil and compete to win first place to right. be seen. So I am um, used to that pressure and that adrenaline, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And in a way, it's almost like you you didn't have to wait long, so you could kind of carry that over in a in a in a way that makes more sense, you know. You because it was like you were at in Brazil doing these competitions, and then only a year or two later, and you're with your exact same partner that you're very comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a more natural transition yeah, than like very, waiting and yeah. building up all the anxiety that one can have. Yes, it, was very, <laughs> it was very emotional because I look, I would look and say, Oh my goodness, we're, we're dancing together here in America with a balancing company. So, you know, for everyone who's listening, it's not like I had the style down on me. That was just the beginning. So I was most likely still a very probably classical sugar plum, but I was, we were confident 
because we brought that from Brazil, but we still had so long to go to understand the real way of doing the balancing balance. Right, right. right. We want to tell you about a product that I am currently obsessed with, the Olive and June Manicure Systems. I've heard about their products before and how they were bringing salon quality manicures right to your home. It did take me a little while to decide to finally dive in and give it a try, but I have to say, believe the hype. Their at-home Manny systems include everything you need to get the perfect manicure. Plus, they have tons of online resources that offer tips and tricks of the trade. Save time and money with the perfect at-home manicure that truly lasts and lasts. I couldn't believe when I heard that their polish lasts a week or longer, but seriously, they do. I have even traveled across the country with no chip in sight, which we all know is a small miracle. They have so many beautiful colors, including gorgeous nude polishes that are perfect for onstage or in the studio. My favorite is called CCT. It would definitely be my go-to if I were still performing. Through Conversations on Dance, we are happy to offer our listeners 20% off their first-time order of any Olive and June system when you use code DANCE20 at checkout. That's DANCE20, all one word, or click the link in the description of this episode. The best way to support Conversations on Dance is to patronize our sponsors, so happy shopping! So then very quickly into your tenure with Miami City Ballet, there was a shift in directorship when Edward left and then Lourdes Lopez came in. So what was that like for you being in that, like you're in this new position within the company, you're starting to get these roles, you're starting to build some momentum and now things are going to change. What were you kind of like feeling during that time? It was a very confusing time. And I, I just, I remember again, telling my mother who I will most mention her all the time because she's my mom, my coach, my, my therapist. <laughs> and I told her, I said, mom, I don't know how to navigate through this. Now what, you know, she never really prepared me for this moment of changing direction of directors. So I felt like my first thought was, oh boy, I'm going to have to prove myself all over again. Right. And that's always what dancers think, you know, the pre the new director does not know what I've done and we don't know what's her taste we don't know what she likes how we should dance you know I knew what Edward wanted from us but then changing into someone new I I was just like we're starting over again that's what I felt yeah right yeah I think we all felt that way for sure yeah and I can see I mean for those of us who'd been in the company a little bit longer we felt like we'd kind of like established those things so I that's why I was wondering from your perspective just being still such a baby but it all panned out great in the mm-hmm. end. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I'm wondering, did you have a moment where you felt like um, you were finding that same sort of um, bond, not bond necessarily, but what the relationship that you had with Edward was so positive and you knew that he was going to move you along in a way that was exciting as a young dancer. When did you kind of feel like you had a shift where you had that understanding with Lourdes? So, um, she, when she joined the company, I didn't feel like I took steps back. Like she continued giving me opportunities. Mm-hmm. And with that, I was able to be in a lot of privates with her. So right. being in these privates, you really get to know the director in a more um, intimate scenario. So through that, I was able to then have the opportunity to hear what she likes how, what, how she views. And it was very interesting. I always say to have worked with a male balancing dancer and then a female balancing Mm -hmm. dancer. So Mm -hmm. 
for us girls having the opportunity to be with someone who danced for him, who knows all these roles and have done it herself. It was a very great moment for me to then learn from a female perspective. Right. Right. I, I liked that transition in a way. Yeah. Right, right, right. There was also an interesting wrinkle in this transition that may not be traditional and who knows what traditional is when this kind of thing happens, right? It's so rare. But um, when Lourdes did come in, she, her first season was overseeing um, casting and programming that had already been put in place by Edward. So I wonder too, for you, were there opportunities in that first season that you were already cast in, you knew you would be dancing that then you felt like, okay, I can show her who I am in this moment. Absolutely. You said it all. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was scary, but yet I knew that I had that part. So I said, okay, I can, I can use this role to show her who I am. So she gets to know me and right. see my strengths and she'll find my weaknesses where she'll work with me. So definitely, I think it, for all of us, right. It felt like, okay, we know what we're doing so we can at least show this, you know? Right. Yeah. For sure. I mean, the first ballet you had a chance to really show yourself in was the pad nurse. And I mean, that is a virtuoso <laughs> moment that any director would be impressed by. Yeah. <laughs> that ballet, like, oh. we, all know, we all know the feeling. We can still remember, right? <laughs> so much pain. Hard, hardest ballet I ever danced <laughs> yeah. to this day. Well, and I don't think I'll be dancing anymore. All that costume and your cover. So costume. Yes. Yeah, so that, that was what I was most worried about. I was like, can they see any of the things I'm doing? Cause I'm just covered by this like tarp essentially. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's Parka. not like even showing her a balance sheet valley, right? Right. Something else. Yeah. We were mm-hmm. like, we're not super comfortable with this stuff, but okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was so, so Natalia, you did so many big roles over the course of your time in Miami city ballet, like huge principal parts season after season. And it culminated in 2020, March 2020, when you had the you dance the title role of the Firebird, you were the first cast, um, and that resulted in a promotion, which is something obviously you've dreamt your whole life of being a principal dancer with a ballet company. But after years of dancing all these crazy parts, and you finally get this promotion, shut down. <laughs> <laughs> the world Did that ends. feel weird? I mean, because honestly, to to my eyes, like if you looked at your rep on a piece of paper, any, it would have been any principal dancers rep for probably for maybe five or so years there. Yeah. So then you finally like get the actual title, but didn't get to live it right away. Was, what was that like for you? You know, I actually, well, first when I got promoted, my first response to her on stage when the curtain went down was really <laughs> Because I had, you guys have been watching my career. I've been doing, as you said, all these roles. And and I then, I there was a sweet vibe of all my friends just cheering up for me. Like, okay, is it this year? Is it this year? So mm-hmm. everybody was sort of like, okay, this is obvious. Like, you know, so it's, I, because I've been waiting for so long. So to hear that, I was like, huh. Oh my goodness, it's here. It's here. I couldn't believe like this is right. actually happening. Yeah. And then world shuts down. Right. And I was like, you know what? That seems like the right thing. Like it happened. Boom. Now you're done. Like, right. Of course. Like right. I worked so hard. And then 
So that was funny. <laughs> and maybe you were like, I needed a break. You've done hard stuff for 10 years. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to take all this time to celebrate. Right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of time to party over it. Yes. That's true. Um, but, you know, you, you, the company didn't have a break break in the way that some places did. You know, like just New York City Valley, a year of shutdown, for instance. Mm-hmm. You immediately went into some um, filming, streaming opportunities, um, one of which I, I'm super curious about. So you did a Claudia Schreier work that um, streamed last November. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm curious how you managed to create it, what, what the protocols were for COVID safety. And then you're performing it at the Arch Center, which is your home theater. Mm-hmm. Like you, it was filmed rather. It was filmed at the Arch Center. So you're in this sort of like ghost building because there's no audience. How does that affect what you deliver? Right. It was, yes, Michael, we were very blessed because we did continue dancing. So, but yes, working with Claudia on Zoom and it was- Did she do the whole thing on Zoom? She did the whole thing on Zoom. Oh, wow. I thought you guys had some time in the studio with her. And had you guys met her? She came down to audition or no, nothing. So she came down um, when we were doing the Stravinsky. It was program one. We were doing Stravinsky, Mercury Tidings. So she Mm -hmm. came down to meet us and then went away world shut down so we never really worked with her in person right so that was a challenge so coming back to the studios in a horrible shape with the mask on and learning this new style through a zoom was so challenging so challenging and funny things like she would teach us the steps and we would be doing the other way and she'll be like wait guys I actually meant the right side and we're like going to the left let's describe that for our listeners who maybe aren't super familiar so if you're looking at a screen like even if when you're watching a ballet right that you're trying to learn something off video you have to completely flip it to the other side so i can see how when you're doing something live with someone you're imitating like you're mirroring someone but she's doing her left arm and you're doing your right arm and then it's like oh we have to go the other way Exactly. So then eventually, because it was all a new world, so we're trying to figure it out, Zoom and all of this. So she started dancing with her back to us. Mm-hmm. So then we could really follow her the, to the right direction. Right. So it was challenging because also partnering. I had oh one rehearsal, just Clever and I, and it was trying to figure it out, all this partnering things that she wanted that was very um difficult but without her there it was just kind of like a you know a puzzle trying to figure right. out exactly what she wanted and uh, talking about protocols as you asked Michael we we were asked um who do you who have you been in a pod with so you could touch that person and partner with and right. I told out I've been in a pod with Clubber was my other Brazilian friend. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to dance with him, but the protocol was very much like two people rehearse here, then the other, we come together and, you know, but always her on Zoom and, you know, us right. in the studio. Right. And going into the theater was a very, it was weird, as you said, because nobody's there and right. no one in, in the audience, but yet we were the lucky ones that had the, opportunity to step in, in on a stage for the first time after all right. of it. So it was emotional to be there. Right. And is that ballet going to have a second life? 
So we are going to have a new ballet by Claudia, but I'm not sure if it's uh, that one. I think it's right. going to be a new production. New. Oh, bigger, very good. Bigger ballet, yeah. Right. Awesome. So Miami City also Miami City Ballet also did a big pivot for their Nutcracker. Obviously, Nutcracker is such a time honored tradition. Everyone, dancers and audiences alike, look forward to it every year. Um, but obviously, it was not going to be safe to have. Um, a traditional nutcracker indoors with dozens of children. So what did Miami City Ballet do to con- to allow the con- tradition to continue? And uh, what were some of the major differences? So the major thing, um, first we went to Doral. We, they set up this huge stage in Doral for us. And we had daily PCR tests in order to be able to um, perform without masks. We kept our masks backstage and we'd only take off your mask as when you're about to go on. So the major thing was that we didn't have the kids for the first act. Right. Mm-hmm. So we had projections mm-hmm. and uh, I have to say, it looked like the kids were there. It looked mm-hmm. like the party scene was happening. I saw it from the front. I was all the way in the back and it was so well done that you couldn't tell that if there were people or not. And a lot of the audience members to the end, they couldn't believe when people told them that, no, it was just a projection. Really? Right. They wow. thought that they, if you were all the way in the back, they thought that there were people on stage. That's so cool. Right. Wow. Yeah. So what was that like then for you to be back on stage with an audience in this role that you've been doing since you said, you know, you said you were 17, Sugar Plum, I'm sure. Did you do dance uh, Dewdrop as well? Like that's So because of obviously the rules that we had to do for COVID and the partners touching each mm-hmm. other. So right. We were, um, the principals only did one role. So if you do more than one, like I do do drop and sugar plum, they just said, well, you're only going to be do drop. You're only going to oh, be sugar plum. So what did you do? Do drop, right? So I was just do drop. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, you know, Jennifer Lauren couldn't, she unfortunately didn't do do drop. She was a sugar plum. Right. Just right. Because of the right. But, oh gosh, but what a great role to be doing the whole time. I know. Because when people ask me, <laughs> which one is your favorite, I'm like, okay, I love Sugar Pump, but do drop. Do drop. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, perfect, so good. it's a perfect <laughs> role. I can't yeah. think of anything better. I think it's, I mean, it's probably, I have a lot of people say that. I mean, I, it's fun to ask men what their, um, if they could nice. have to dance one female role, oh. what it would be. I think everyone says do drop. Like, I mean, in the whole balancing canon. Oh, and if, for you, if you had to dance one male balancing role, would it be mice? That's a trick question because Jerry Robbins choreographed that. There you go. <laughs> and that's a trick question. And we all know, Michael, that yours is lead marzipan. No. I'm, just because I'm good at lead marzipan doesn't mean I want to dance. <laughs> you, Michael, guys used to always do lead marzipan on stage. We need to put that. We have a video of it. We're going to put it on, on COD's Instagram. Everybody look out for it after this episode. Yeah. Michael's looking at me like, no. <laughs> so then what <laughs> switching back to Natalia, um, what what was the rest of the season then like? Um, you know, obviously Nutcracker was coming when COVID was really spiking back up in a major way. Mm-hmm. What did the company do for the rest of the year that allowed the dancers to still, you know, stay in shape and maybe even perform? Right. So after we did the Nutcracker, we had I don't know if you guys have heard of the pop-up series that we did. Oh, right. 
So nice. the pop-up, um, basically, it's such a cool experience and a time for the dancers to be the choreographers and invite other dancers within the company to choreograph a ballet. So they came up with this idea, and then we would take these ballets and go perform throughout the city. So they picked these beautiful locations, Vizcaya, um, Brickle, um, I mean, amongst Wynwood. So we performed for the people and it was such a hit people came out and they were so inspired and and just joyful to see art and to see the dancers up close so it was a time for us to be able to express our other side of being a choreographer and to just also spread the word of Miami City Ballet's existence because not everyone still I mean we're still people are like what's Miami City Ballet you know so this was right. a change for the community to get to know us. Right. So speaking of, who, you know, people thinking like, who's Miami City Ballet? I haven't seen them before. Miami City Ballet is going to continue some of this virtual programming, which I think a lot of companies are doing. And I find it so wonderful because then no matter where you are, you can experience different companies and different dancers. So um, Miami City Ballet is going to be putting out A Midsummer Night's Dream by George Balanchine. And the online premiere will be October 14th and it'll be available through October 31st. So tell us what, for you, what it's like to dance that ballet and why you think it's such a great thing for um, Miami City Ballet to be putting out on this medium for everyone to enjoy. I am very excited for everybody to see the production. Um, It's Midsummer's Night Train, right? And it it was done under the sea. The Florida has reimagined the production and it's inspired by, you know, South Florida and all the creatures underwater. So everybody was asking about people who couldn't come down to Miami to see. They were so curious to see how is Midsummer being done underwater. Mm -hmm. So this will be a great chance for everybody to see what what happened. So I'm going to leave it as a surprise for everybody. Right. It was a hit. People were really, really liked the production. Funny that you mentioned that. I do remember people being like it. It had a lot of curiosity attached to the project. And it is sort of funny, like, you know, five years down the line after the premiere now, people can satisfy that without having to leave the comfort of their homes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's refreshing to to see something, a beautiful old ballet and but then done in a South Florida way. So I think in a way it brings it's, you know, it it's a way of bringing the community and Miami together. And how can you do something that, you know, it has to do with Miami. So I think it's a very unique, special thing for what that Miami city ballet has. Mm -hmm. And what did you dance in Midsummer Night's Dream? I did the butterfly Mm -hmm. and I also did Helena. Very dramatic role. Yeah. (laughs) One of the lovers. (laughs) Which is just so at odds with your personality. (laughs) Oh, you tell Tell Latina to be dramatic. It's- <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wait, so before we let you run off to class, I just want to talk a little bit about the upcoming season, the non-digital aspect of it. What are some of the things you're most looking forward to? I know that we, we're still living in the age of COVID, but you're back in the theater. You have your triple bill full evening. Um, a lot of this season is going to look more like what you've grown up with. During your time in Miami City Ballet. So what are you most looking forward to um, for 20, the 2021-2022 Miami City Ballet season? 
So there's two valleys that I'm very excited and we're working on it. One is Swan Lake by Alexei Romansky. Mm. And the other one is Herman Schmerman by William Forsythe. This is a huge moment for Miami City Ballet. I mean, it's we're making history here because we've never done Foresight before. Mm-hmm. So we're all very thrilled to be learning such beautiful ballet like Herman Schmerman. So those two I'm really looking forward. But honestly, of course, there's jewels and right. I love rubies. Yeah. So you know, there is a lot of good stuff coming up. Claudia's new ballet. Um, so, and they are doing After the Rain, which is a beautiful part of it that I'm, I will be so happy just to be watching people being mm-hmm. beautiful in that beautiful piece of music. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of good ballets coming up. And also for our people in the Washington, D.C. area, you guys are going to be doing Nutcracker at the Kennedy Center, right? Yes. yes. Actually, our first appearance inside a theater will be at the Kennedy Center. Aww, oh, my gosh. That's so wonderful. I just got chills. That's so special. Oh, my God. Oh, how great. It's so fun because we open on a tour. It's, right. It's right. the best. We're, we were so excited. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Natalia. Uh, have a good class. Yes. <laughs> we hope that all of our, our listeners will stream Midsummer Night's Dream and enjoy it. Maybe come out and see Miami City Ballet if they're in the South Florida area, if they're in Washington, D.C. I think you guys have a few other things going on, but I'm not sure if they're all announced. But follow Miami City Ballet for more info. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Thank Natalia. You. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.